This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here's our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. So he might as well have said John 16, 12 to Peter at that time when he started off that whole section in Matthew 16 by saying, I have to suffer many things, and then Peter resists him, and then he could have said, John 16, 12, I had yet many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. So we can see the Lord bursting with this desire to tell them these many things that was going to happen to them, but the anger, he had to stop. So the Lord left the subject for a little while, and then he attempted again. He came back after people called down, and he says, returns to the many things that he talked about in Matthew 16, 21. Matthew 16, 21, he said there were many things. He's coming back to it. Matthew 17, 22. Matthew 17, 22 is his second shot, his second try. It says in Matthew 17, 22. While they abode in Galilee, Jesus said unto them, the son of man shall be betrayed into the hands of men and they shall kill him. And the third day he shall be raised again. And they were exceeding sorry before he told them it was going to be the scribes and the elders that were going to make him suffer these many things and that he was going to be killed on the third day. And now he's told them in this second attempt, Matthew 17, 22, he's told them one more of the many things, of the details, and he hasn't told them this in the past. And this is the information of there will be a betrayal. He's going to be betrayed. There's going to be a betrayal involved. So. This second time that he drops this bombshell, the disciples are not angry. They're just Matthew 17, 23, Matthew 17, 23. They were exceeding sorry, exceeding sorry. So the second time now they're depressed. They're depressed over the truth of his suffering. And again, we see the Lord, he's not quitting. He's bursting with this desire to tell them there's many things that's gonna happen in his sufferings. But now they're in depression, so he's got to stop again. He's got to stop in his tracks, and he kind of—you can almost see him saying again, John sixteen twelve, John sixteen twelve. I had 
I have yet many things to say unto you, but you can't bear them now. You said the first time, you can't bear them now because you're angry. You said, can't bear them now because you're depressed. And again, he has to wait for another day to go on. Well, but we see him wanting so much to tell the disciples the details of his suffering, but they just aren't able to bear it. Looks so much like us. Looks like us. When we so much want to bring the gospel to a lost person we care about, and we just get stopped in our track because the person just can't bear it anymore, it's important this word that he has now, the word now in John 16, 12, John 16, 12, I have yet many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them. Now, it shows he's not finished. He's going to keep on coming back. So what we have here in these verses uh, where we're studying now, verse 17 through 19, Matthew 20, 17 through 19, it's the third time. It's the third shot. He's returning to the subject again of his sufferings, giving them more and more information. So little by little, bit by bit, He's going as far as he can, as far as they're able to bear it. Just like us, when we give the gospel information, we go as far as we can, just like the Lord did. We don't give up. We'll return again. We keep on going. I remember one time sitting next to a Jewish person on a plane, and I was giving him the gospel, and I could tell he wasn't liking it. So I told him, I said, don't worry, I said to the guy. I said, don't worry, I'm going to be just like chemotherapy. I'll bring you to the point of death, and I'll back off so you don't die. Yeah. <laughs> About that time, I thought the man was going to say, stewardess, may I please be reseated? <laughs> so far, the news of his suffering, his death, his resurrection has been met with anger and depression, but he doesn't give up. It's so important for the disciples, he says to himself. It's so important that they are forewarned. They need to be forearmed. They need to be forewarned. They, they cannot be ignorant of these details of my sufferings. So he tells the disciples that he's going to be betrayed, tells them it's going to be betrayed to the chief priests and the scribes. He indicates to them there will be a trial. He tells them he's going to be found guilty. He tells them he's going to be sentenced to death. He tells them that it's going to be the hands of the Gentiles who are going to carry out the sentence. And he tells them the Gentiles are going to mock him, scourge him, and then crucify him. And then he says he's going to rise again. So many details. He's told them about what's going to happen to him. And he tells them all these details about the betrayal and the turning over the Gentiles. And he's telling them this. And they're thinking in their mind, he has so much power. He raises the dead. Heals the sick. He said, he has divine power. He's telling us he's not going to resist. He's telling us there's going to be no fight to defend him and protect him. He's telling us he's going to surrender voluntarily to this horrible treatment. He's telling them he's going to allow his enemies to do all these things. He's telling them so that they will understand that standing before them is the great high priest who's going to make the ultimate sacrifice. And the ultimate sacrifice of the great high priest is the sacrifice of the great high priest himself. And so these are the details now he does. But there are details he doesn't tell them. There are details he holds back. For example, he doesn't tell them the name of the betrayer. He doesn't do that. But he is holding a strong theme here of betrayal. And he's, he's indicated, look, one of you are going to betray me. And the Jewish court, representing the court of the chosen people, 
they are going to betray their Messiah when they hand him over to the Gentiles. And so that in the end, it's going to be both the Jews and the Gentiles that are going to have a part in his death and putting him to death. So he goes into these details, details, details in verse 19, the scourging, the mocking, the crucifying, and the resurrection. And he wants them to know these details because he doesn't want to push anyone into following him without fully knowing what they were getting themselves into. So again, this is his third attempt to keep giving them the many things as much as they're able to bear. And it's not the last. It's not the last of his attempts to tell them of the many things that's going to happen to him. And by the time that's finished, by the time he's finished, he will have told them so much so that if someone within their group, one of their trusted inner of the circle is going to betray the Lord Jesus to the scribes and the Pharisees, and he's going to be tried by the Sanhedrin and found guilty and can be condemned to death and delivered to the Gentiles, and the Gentiles are going to mock him. They're going to shred the skin off his back with the whips. They're going to publicly torture him in a highly visible crucifixion, and then he's going to be raised again on the third day. If anybody wanted to say no, they could. But just think of how all that sounded to them. I mean, just think about what if you, what if it was you, and you had given up in life everything to follow this leader? What if you really could say with Peter, honestly, in Matthew 19, 27, Matthew 19, 27, behold, we have forsaken all and followed thee. What if you really had given up your family to follow Christ. And your only family now, we are just talking about that a little ago, is this band of brothers of the 12. They're your family. They're your new family. And what if you had given up your career? What if you gave up everything that you trained for, that you perfected in your life, and you turned your back on it, and that work now was all finished now, that chapter was closed, as in Matthew 4.18, Matthew 4.18, Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brethren, Simon called Peter, Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea. They were fishers. And he saith unto him, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. They straightway left their nets and straightway and followed him. And going on from thence, he saw two other brethren, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in a ship with Zebedee, their father, many of their nets. He called them. They immediately left the ship and their father and followed him. What if you had given up all your possessions to follow Christ? As Christ told that man in Matthew 19, 21, Matthew 19, 21, Jesus said unto him, but thou will be perfect. Go and sell all that thou hast and give to the poor, you know, treasure in heaven, come follow me. What if you gave up your house? You worked all your life, you pour your savings into it, it's paid off and you gave it up to follow Christ. What if you gave up all your friends to follow Christ? What if you gave up every person in your life, every person in the life, and you really did follow through with what he said in Luke 14, 26. Luke 14, 26, if any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. What if you really were a person who could honestly say with Peter in that Matthew 19, 27, Matthew 19, 27, what if you could really say, we have forsaken all and follow thee? And what if you looked at your spouse and your children and your father and your mother and your family and your friends and your house and all your possessions, and you said, I did it. I gave up everything in order to follow Christ. And now Christ says to you, 
your leader that you've given up everything to follow, he will be betrayed, he will be condemned, he will be tortured publicly to death, and he rises from the dead. How would you felt? Angry, maybe, you can understand. Angry, as in, what have I done? Depressed, as in, what have I done? That's how the disciples felt, angry and depressed. So if that's the case, why did the Lord work so hard to do that? Why was he battling against so many problems in order to give the, the amount of details that he did so that they could bear it. Why not just play the game of the gun smoke uh, with a smile, with an illusion of a smile in his face? Let it happen. If telling everyone these details made his disciples so angry, so depressed, why did he kept pressing to tell them about all these upcoming sufferings and death? Wasn't it enough pain for his disciples to have given up everything to follow Christ? Why did he have to add on to it all these details to make them necessary to understand what was gonna happen? Why did he do it? Why did he continue to push? Why did he continue to push time after time with more and more details? He told them all this full explanation about the coming humiliation and the pain and the death for one reason, to give the disciples an opportunity to confirm or to turn away that they were willing to follow him, even if it meant seeing him be totally publicly humiliated and tortured to death. He told them all these disciples to give all these details, to give them the opportunity by to say yes. He gave them an opportunity to say, yes, I'm gonna follow you, or no, I'm sorry, but this is really just too much. I'm sorry, I have to drop out. They needed to know all of these details in order for them to make their own free will decision. They needed to face all these decisions, uh, face all these details rather, they needed to face all these details so that they could make a meaningful confirmation. He was telling them all these gory details by saying, in essence, at the end, okay, now you see it all. You still in? You still in? You know what's gonna happen to your leader. I'm your leader. You know what's going to happen. You still want to follow me? It's your choice. You make it. No one is forcing you to stay. You can walk out right now. The door's open, and many did. Many said, you know, I, I guess I didn't really fully realize what it meant to follow Christ. Oh, I'm sorry. And so he then says to them, what's your choice? How about you? Individually. There were many who turned away. There were many who walked away. John 6, 53, John 6, 53, Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, ye have no life in you. Whosoever eateth my flesh, drinketh my blood, hath eternal life. John 6, 60, John 6, 60, same passage. Many, therefore, of his disciples, when they heard this, said, this is a hard saying, who can bear it? When Jesus knew in himself, the disciples murmured at it. He said unto them, does this offend you? John 6.66, same passage, John 6.66. From that time, many of the disciples went back and walked no more with him. Then said Jesus unto the 12, will you also go away? That's why he worked so hard to tell them all these details of his coming humiliation and suffering and death, so that he could ask them again this question, John 6.67, John 6.67, will you also go away? How about you? Will you go away? Look, many are going that way. Which side are you on? 
And this is really what's behind the communion service, which we're going to celebrate. When we see that broken bread and that red juice or wine, and we see it, we hear again the Lord saying what those are in Matthew 26, 26. Matthew 26, 26, he said, this is my body. In Matthew 26, 28, Matthew 26, 28, he said, this is my blood. So in the communion service, when we see that broken bread, when we see that red cup, he wants us to see the details of his death, our leader. In those elements, he wants us to see the betrayal of it all. He wants us to see the condemnation of it all. He wants us to see the mocking of it all, the humiliation of it all. He wants us to see the whip shredding the skin off his back of it all. He wants us to see the, the public torturing of the crucifixion of it all. And he wants us to see the rising of the dead from it all. He wants us to have very clear sight. He wanted them to have very clear sight. He wants us to have a very clear sight. In those elements, the bread and the juice, he wants us to hear him say, and they communion service, John 6, 67, will you also go away? You see it now, what's your decision? The voice of Christ is very clear in a communion service. In essence, he's saying, after you see in that broken bread and that poured out juice, all my humiliation, all my suffering, all my public and fatal torture, after you see in those elements, me hanging on a cross, dead, and know that I have risen, you still willing to forsake all to follow me? That's the communion. If the communion service is going to have any meaning at all, it must be a statement of a reconfirmation, a rededication of, yes, I do see it all, and I'm still willing to follow Christ. Public crucifixion and all, I won't leave. That's the purpose of communion. That's the purpose of communion. And the eating part of the communion is so important because that's where we say, he's my Passover, and by eating the bread and the wine, I'm saying that I'm making him count as my Passover lamb. He's my Passover lamb. Just as there were many lambs, many lambs on that first Passover, but a person had to fix himself to one particular lamb, his family lamb, many leaders in the world today. And by eating the communion, a person is saying, though there be many others, I've chosen Christ to be my Passover savior my Passover Savior, and by taking this bread and wine, I'm making my choice of Christ as my Passover lamb. So he tells them all these horrible, gory details so that each one can choose. Which side are you on? Made so clear by the two women, Orpah and Ruth, when Naomi told those daughters-in-law of hers uh, what it meant to follow her. In Ruth 1.8, Ruth 1.8, Naomi said unto her daughters-in-law, go, return each of you to your mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you as you've dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant you that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. And she kissed them and they lifted up their voice and wept. And they said unto her, surely we will return with thee unto thy people. Naomi said, turn again, my daughters, why will you go with me? Are there yet any more sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? Turn again, my daughters, go your way. I'm too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, if I should have a husband also tonight and should also bear sons, would you tarry for them till they were grown? Would you stay at home from having husbands? Nay, my daughters, it with me much for your sakes. And they lifted up their voice and wept again. Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clave unto her. So when Naomi decided to leave Moab, their home, Orbas and Ruth's home, 
and go back to this for them, a foreign land, Israel, to Bethlehem. Without knowing the details, the daughters-in-law, Orpah and Ruth, said in Ruth 1.10, Ruth 1.10, surely we will return with thee unto thy people. But after Naomi then told them all the details of what it meant in Ruth 1.11 through 13, Ruth 1.11 through 13, that for her young, beautiful daughters-in-law, it meant they would not get a new husband, they would not have a home with a husband, they would not have children. With all those details clearly in sight, Orpah made her decision to, I'm out, to not follow and turn back. So we have Ruth 1.14, Ruth 1.14, Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, and that was a kiss of goodbye. She kissed her goodbye. But with the same details clearly in her sight, Ruth made another decision, which was Ruth 1.14, Ruth 1.14. Ruth clave unto her. So clear, seeing these details so clearly of what it meant for Ruth to follow Naomi, no husband, no home, no children, she makes her decision. And it was so much a matter of Ruth's free will decision that Naomi then tried to persuade Ruth, no, turn away, turn back. She pushed her. She pushed her. Naomi pushed Ruth to get away. And Ruth's response are the famous words in Ruth 1.16. Ruth 1.16, Ruth said, entreat me not to leave thee, nor return from following after thee. For whither thou goest, I will go. Where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people. Thy God, my God. Where thou diest, will I die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if aught but death part thee and me. When she saw that she was steadfastly minded to go with her, she left speaking with her. You know, when Ruth said to Naomi in Ruth 1.16, Ruth 1.16, entreat me not to leave thee, Ruth was really saying, stop bothering me over this. Stop bothering me, which was my wife's final words to me when I was trying to figure out if she was still conscious before she died. And I said, what's your birthday? And her last words were, stop bothering me. So this is what Ruth said to Naomi, stop bothering me. And this is what Christ was telling to his disciples, all these horrible details about his coming sufferings and death. Well, it was very depressing. It was very, very tough news, but he does not leave them in a complete state of darkness. He tells them in the very end, I'm going to rise from the dead. He tells them the sun is going to shine. The sun is going to break through the clouds. And he tells them this, and he tells them he's going to rise from the dead. So he's not telling them what the sun was told in gun smoke. He's not saying, don't worry. It's going to look like I'm going to die to everyone else. When the scaffold door opens, the rope's going to be long. There'll be barrels. I'll disappear out of sight. I'm not really going to die. He doesn't tell them that. He's really saying He's really going to die, and he's going to be raised from the dead. And the good news of the gospel, the good news of the gospel is not that Christ did not die. He did die. And that's why there's emphasis in the gospel on the word buried, because the good news of the gospel is 1 Corinthians 15.3. 1 Corinthians 15.3, I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. That's why he finished his detail in verse 19, his verse 19 with, the third day he shall rise again. Let's pray. We thank you, Lord, for not pushing anybody to follow you, but giving the full details of your death. And Lord, we ask you that you would help each one of us, me included, Lord, all of us here, to once again confirm humiliation, public torture of it all, 
and resurrection we're in. In Jesus' name, amen. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. That's P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. That's tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. For more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God, and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries.